A big welcome to the house of the freaks. This is Johnny Walker and we're coming back to you with another episode. On this occasion, we're going to have an interview. So I have today with with us a controversial figure. Uh, his name is Noxious. He's a bass artist and DJ based on Washington, D.C. in the U.S., but he's right now in Hawaii. He He's a little bit controversial, but we, we're not going to go into these areas right now. So... Noxus, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? What's up, guys? My name's Darian. Um, I guess we're going to call me Noxious today. Um, I've been doing music for more than half of my life. I started an orchestra as a kid when I was about 11 years old, roughly. Uh, I played the stand-up bass, the double bass, the really big instrument as the shortest kid in class. And um, I moved on to other instruments from there. I moved on to guitar, mostly. And eventually I got to the point where I was producing my own music. I performed one song in front of my entire high school by age, I think it was 16 and 17. And once I moved to Virginia, I wanted to find a way to apply my music production to live performances. I wanted to play my music for more people instead of just making it for myself in my bedroom. And I started working for a DJ company called Tidewater DJs. That's where I got my start DJing. Great. Thanks. All right. So, uh, but you go also by another name, correct? So not just no, yeah. but there's another name. Do you want to tell us what this name is? Uh, the other name is Encrypted, dog. Uh, it's a secret. It's no, a secret. I, encrypted. It, it, if you think about what an encryption is, man, it's something that constantly changes. It's a code yeah. that changes to, um, to protect confidential information. I must admit that uh, for me being a little bit dyslectic, when I was... When I was looking at encrypted and the way you spell it, I just couldn't hack it. I, I didn't know how it was how it was spelled until I saw you on Twitter and you said, "Are you are you idiot?" You said to somebody, "You know, this is encrypted as an encryption." And then I realized the lights went on with me as well. Okay, so uh, yeah, no, it came up because I, I needed a side music project because Noxious was heavily focused on DJ, uh-huh. even though I started the project as you know music composition and production. Um, Noxious was very much so limited to DJs. Noxious became this um, persona that I brought to the stage. Like I was really uh, timid uh, as a kid, and I didn't really uh, socialize with other people the same way that you know the average kid would. But when I would go to a party, right, and I had this mask on that I wore for most of my original shows, I'd put this mask on, and the visor was blacked out, so you couldn't see my eyes. But I would still get on the microphone. I'd still, you know, be amped up and hyped, and it, it allowed me to to focus on the music when a crowd can't see if I'm looking at them or not. So if my head just happens to turn in the right direction to look at somebody, they, they, if they notice it, they'll it'll it'll blow their minds, right? Even if I'm looking down at my mixing board, they can't tell if I'm looking down at my mm. equipment or if I'm looking at them. So it, it helps with one aspect of showmanship. It often gets in the way of technical DJing. But on top of that, you know, you're talking about if you're going to go to an electronic music event and you want to see something cool, it's a lot cooler to see a DJ with a mask on and someone just sitting there making weird faces behind the DJ equipment. Okay. Did you do it before or after Marshmallow? Uh, Before Marshmallow. What's funny is I actually promoted a show for Marshmallow before he really got big. I don't even want to say like, the indie hipster kind of thing. But there was a show at Peabody's that he did with, I think it was Steve's promo in 2013, I think it was. And um, I'm pretty sure I got to meet Mo, his manager, Mo Shalizi. They were all sitting there afterwards. And because I was one of the residents at the venue, you know, I was just always there. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was for their Vibrate series in 2013 in the springtime going into summertime. But um yeah, no, it was really cool to see, you know, some someone else running around with a face mask on. I got the idea from the Bloody Beat Roots, to be honest. Like, Steve Aoki was a big influence on me. Oh, the yeah. song Warp with Bloody Beat Roots and Steve Aoki was, like, huge for me when I first started partying, like, around age 17, age 18. So about 2009, and, 2010? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the right time period. 2009 was my graduating class. I was living on my own by 2008, though, so I was 17 as a kid. Like just kind of roaming around. By the time my 18th birthday showed up, I already knew where all the party houses were. You know, mm-hmm. where all the, the good parties were, 
where the bad parties were, which neighborhoods to stay away from, which places always had the most people. You know. But, but I mean, before he was Marshmallow, he was .com. But anyway, we're not going to go to... I love him. .com. Dude, .com is the shit. I still listen to his music, okay? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm bummed out. People don't know it's Marshmallow. Um, well, lots of people do. Right. Describe Noxious with three words only. Noxious is original, in your face, and I would I would say um, uncommon. That's five. You're words. not going to is, is that? Oh, yeah. Too many words. Okay, let me, let me back. Three original words. face. Uh, I'm buying right now. I wasn't ready for this part. Three words. Original in your face. That, that's hyphenated, so that's one word. It's a phrase. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, um, and, and abstract. I would say abstract. That's the other word that came to my mind. Abstract. Resisting. I'm not going to. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I feel about it. A lot of the music that I produced isn't really. Uh, it's okay. not like cookie cutter. It's more melodic. Sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes it's short. Um, so I think abstract is a really a good word mm -hmm. that says we're not just. Tell me your first inspiration to make music, like some artist that inspired you to make music. Uh, in this case, perhaps let's focus to electronic dance music because you explained how you were, you know, making other music beforehand. So let's let's focus on electronic dance music. I think the first experience I had with electronic music um, was Infected Mushroom and Spongo. I found this mix. It was about an hour and a half long. And I used to listen to it on repeat for uh, for hours. Sometimes, like, all night, I would just listen to the same mix over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it grew on me. Like, I'd been listening to hip-hop and pop music on the radio as a kid. And then one day I heard rock music. Um, and I started listening to rock music throughout like my teenage years, listening to heavy metal. So I went on. Yeah. I know, I know you don't, you don't like rock or metal music. Um, but yeah, I met a few people that I played music with, um, guitars, um, and they kind of, they influenced that. And eventually it got to the point where I found that mix, that electronic mix online uh -huh. and it, it transformed my whole entire perspective. Suddenly I wanted to make music that wasn't, uh, wrong base, Wait but now. So base. infected mushroom, there were psytrance, correct? Yeah, psytrance, goa, like yes, the, yes. the psychedelic kind of music. So like, how did you make this long. trans this transition from metal to psytrance? By the way, this is a very very common transition, so it's not unique to you. Okay. So I want to understand well, I'm, I'm how did you make friends. this transition? Like what connected? Uh, one to the other it really it was that mix dude it really it really came down to how good that mix was it was it had all the elements that i enjoyed it had the industrial kind of sounds with the distorted synthesizers mm -hmm. it had the consistent kind of dancey vibe to it where i could you know bob my head for an hour straight and i wouldn't get sick of it and mm -hmm. then um it was um it was to the point where i could listen to the same mix over and over again and pick out different pieces that I hadn't noticed before, like these subtle little effects that are in the songs, hmm. and then try to analyze it to understand, well, how do I make this? How do I transform what I'm doing into what I'm hearing right now from this guy, or these guys, or this group of people? Like, this, it was a huge motivation for me. Hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a huge transition, but it makes sense. What about other artists? I mean, that was a mix, obviously, but... Was there this the only artist that influenced you? Or? No, absolutely not. I, I hate to say it at this point in my life, but uh, the the guy who is uh, one of the biggest in the scene right now, I, I think his name's Jeff. Some, oh, yeah. some people call him El Jefe. Yeah, um, he definitely yeah. was. Uh, yeah, he was a major, major influence on me. I remember there was this one event that somebody invited me out to. He happened to be friends with the DJ that Ava Simmons had running her set at a festival called Identity Festival. It was run by the Apple company at Jiffy Lube Live in Virginia. And he didn't have a way to get out there, but he wanted to see his buddy. His buddy was in town from the UK and I had a car. So I drove out. I spent way too much money to drive out there. I spent way too much money on food. And by the time I got there, I was miserable. 
and the only artist I knew on the set, aside from Ava Simmons um, and Static Revenger, was Excision. Right? I uh, I met Static Revenger, or I, I didn't meet him. I saw him on set and connected with him through Twitter, but he's since kind of gone quiet on his social medias. Um, I met Ava Simmons. I actually sat down with her. I didn't really know what to say. I was kind of like, oh, this is weird. I listened to that song that you made with Afrojack over and over again. I don't really know what else to talk about. <laughs> so it was it was kind of awkward. Um, but we were in the green room with her and everything, so that was cool. That was behind main stage. And then, you know, I was backstage while that sick was playing a set. Don't freak out that I'm that bad sick. I'm not freaking out at all, mate. <laughs> Some people will get mad. This is before I know. Datsuk, by the way, made a comeback last week. I don't know. If you yeah, know I know. I, I know he popped up, and then I saw a bunch of people calling him a crackhead dog. I just like I can't for for all the life of me. I know what he did, and I I know how it went down. Um, and let's 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 not, let's not go into this for the time being. But yeah, continue with the excision bit. Yeah. So um, I was backstage for that six set. And I got to watch it, a little bit of it. And then um, they cleared the stage off to bring the three X's that Excision would play with on, on the stage because he was the headliner for that stage, but he was uh -huh. on the side stage. It was like in a dirt parking lot. And my car had been parked right behind that stage all day long. Like, and I, I was exhausted by this point. I'd been up for more than 12 hours. I hadn't had enough showers. I hadn't had enough to eat. There wasn't enough pot to keep me happy. Like I was just dressed out, dog. And then the on top of it, the dude that I drove there that convinced me to drive out there, him and his buddy just ditched me at the festival. So I wound up there wandering around backstage by myself for most of the entire party. Like I had fun on main stage. Like some of the dudes that were over there were super chill with me and I was like throwing beach balls out at the crowd, like hyping them up. But by the time Excision came on, they played his mix for like 45 minutes before he actually started his set and i got bored like i was excited because i'm like yeah i know this whole entire mix by heart i've heard it like a thousand times already dude i'm so hyped up to hear the next one and there's this crowd of people that were just being real negative and i remember hearing uh one specific person that was next to the stage talking about well we have to make sure we keep certain people away from him because like we don't we don't want them to impact his set and it was weird because I didn't really notice it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they were talking about me. But like, no one was really interacting with me at all. They were basically just ignoring me, pretending I wasn't there. So I went back to my car and I, I passed out my driver's seat. <laughs> I used to tweet at the dude to let him know, hey, man, the only time I ever got to see you was at this one set. And I literally slept on you the whole time backstage. <laughs> like, I would wake up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I know he was probably offended or, or he might have even been hurt by the aspect of someone sleeping through his set. But the truth is, like, the heaviest bass drops in the set would wake me up, and I would, I would like, roll over, and I would, like, mm, there's bass. And, but then I would think to myself, no, sleep is more important right now than that, that set. Like, I'm okay. too tired. Let's go a little yeah, bit to ahead. the music. Tell me a few tunes that you wish you had recorded yourself and why. Um, the first... If I was going to pick a song that I wish I had made... Yeah, again, the focus on electronic dance music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blood Rave theme from um, Blade. I don't know if you've ever seen Blade, but there's a sequence in the beginning of the movie where there's a bunch of people at a, at a party, like, at a rave, and then the, the sprinkler system gets set off, but it's nothing but blood coming out, right? And there's a song that's playing in the background. That's one of my favorite songs, like hands down when it comes to EDM music. It's one of the best songs that's ever been created. I played it for a costume contest for a Halloween show that I played in Virginia years ago. And I just kept playing it on repeat. I played it like two or three times in a row until the costume contest was done and nobody knew any different. It just felt right, you know? So it was like 15 minutes of nothing but blood rave theme. <laughs> um, the second song I would pick is the um the reptile theme from mortal Kombat. it was definitely ahead of its time in terms of production value and the synthesizer quality and it's just as another one of those it's like i said it's like that kind of side trance goa kind of feel that i've always liked and enjoyed um and a third song i think 
I'm not going to say sandstorm. It came to my mind, but I'm not going to say sandstorm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I want to lean away from Excision's music. Like um, X-Rated was a big influence on me. And I've done work with Massinian too, the the guy who did the vocals for that track. But I think if I had to pick a third song, it would be uh, EDM-based. Yeah. It would would probably be... Man, this is a hard one. Okay, you don't have to. You don't have to tell me. Maybe a couple is fine. Um, Oh, oh, no, there it is. Um, Spitfire by... um, Excuse my French. Um, Porter Robinson? uh, Dude, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. Um, It's Spitfire by... I know I have it on my thumb drives too, but I got a remix of it. Uh, it's not Kill the Noise. It's not Porter Robinson. It's um, damn man. They're like one of the old OGs. Okay, too. okay. It, it'll it, come it's, to not, you. it's not the Crystal Method either. It's someone else. It'll come to you. Now tell me something. Yeah. Um, what was your first club or festival or rave you attended? Can you tell us um, what, what was your experience? So my first club experience was actually at hip hop. Uh, uh, again, again let's let's focus on EDM. Okay, EDM. my first edm experience at a club was in virginia for sure because that's that's when i was actually going to clubs um peabody's was not really into edm they would do edm once every so often but there's this club that i worked at called central 111 that was basically every single wednesday night was house music night they call it euro night that's mm-hmm. the night that i dj the most at too it was all house music um house music became so easy for me to dj that i could i wouldn't even have to think about it i could just throw down a monster house music set at any time but you went there you went there as a a clubber correct uh yes yes and no what's weird about my club experience virginia most of the clubs that i went to i was hired by before i actually had been to so i didn't actually get the opportunity um to be the, the crowd so wait, you I, were hired as a what? As as a DJ. I was hired as a DJ right off the bat just because like I networked the right way. People found out that I was DJing what these guys called the Jolly Brothers and they saw how well I promoted. They saw how much crowd interaction I had. They came out to the show and they they heard about it. They saw videos of it. So they yeah. instantly started hiring me. Peabody's put me on the spot. That's a little bit backwards because usually people... I would expect I that know, you'd go to a few clubs or raves. <laughs> My first event was my biggest event. I sold the most tickets to it. It's 1,700 people. We were the first local act in history to ever sell out the Norba in Norfolk, Virginia. And I, we did it twice. We did it the same about a month later. Like I think it was like between 30 and 40 days later. We sold out the same venue two times in one year. So it was, it was what just year awesome. Talking about? This was 2012. 2012. This was about two or three months after I went to the Jiffy Lube Live Identity Festival. Okay. Now, club versus festival versus underground or illegal rave experience. Choose one and why. If I had to choose one between those three, I I think I'm always going to lean towards the underground because I've had so many positive experiences um, with underground events. Like, I love clubs. Um, I haven't really had positive festival experiences. The underground has always been the most legitimate, most pure most real experience that you can get you don't have to worry about people coming there to be like to be seen or people going there only to be at a bar like you're talking about you have to be interested in music to be seen in the underground scene and those are the people that i love the most yeah yeah no i agree i agree with you there but again i think festivals is the most popular right i mean people Perhaps they stop going somewhere when there's not a festival. They wouldn't go to their local club, for example. Um, no, most of the people why. that go to festivals, they're not club people. Like the the club scene is one group of people, and there's a lot of money, but it's it's mostly um, hospitality based. Festivals aren't based on hospitality at all. It's basically like, hey, do you want to come be homeless on this big, huge piece of land for a few days with us? We'll play a bunch of music for you, and then. <laughs> Give us, give us a thousand dollars. Give us two thousand dollars, and you can pretend you're not homeless while you're homeless at our music festival for three days. Um, 
And then, and then like, and no one has that mentality. They don't even stop to think that like, they're literally paying $2,000 to go camping with someone playing a bunch of music. But, but they're Instagram friendly, the festival of Sunday. It, it all depends on your perspective of Instagram friendly. It, is it really about having an experience that's authentic or are you just doing it because it looks good? That's, that's really what Instagram yeah, sure. it's, all about. It's individual. I share the same perspective with you in any case. Right. Let's get into some music now. Electronic dance music, no vocals necessary. What do you think? I've always loved EDM music. Excuse me, EDM music. That's that's like saying electronic dance music music. I won't do that again. I know, I've always but enjoyed the vocals. <laughs> it's the vocals that matter that I'm stressing out. So do you agree that you can produce smashing music without vocals or not? What's your opinion? Uh, I, I definitely support the idea of no vocals being the music. Um, for a long time until recently, the music that I made didn't have any vocals in it at all. Most of the music I played is the same way. If there were any vocals, it was very short, simple little phrases. The way I see it is uh, music is muddied up by words. When you speak words, you, you complicate things. Uh, if you take a song that's completely instrumental, you can play it to anybody in the world. It doesn't matter if they're in China, if they're in Russia, if they're in Europe, any European country, I can take a song that has no vocals in it. It's universal. It speaks to all of them. Whether you're like a Tibetan monk high in a mountain or like you know, somebody that just came out to a party in Sweden, I can play that same song and it's understood by both of those people. You know, that's the best part about it. With, with vocals, you can't do that. If they don't understand the words. I agree. <laughs> However... Don't you feel it's much more appealing and commercial to put vocals? I mean, if you think oh, about what, what is popular, it has to have vocals, correct? Part of the reason pop music is so popular is because the phrases get stuck in people's heads. Like, you'll, if you listen to what's on the radio or what is usually most popular with radio songs, their verses are repetitive. It's always a thing structure. You okay there, Johnny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the verses are repetitive and the the choruses or what people would call the hook are are basically they'll say the same thing over and over again it's just like one line over and over again yeah and then it gets stuck in your head to the point where it doesn't matter if the song's good or not you just remember it because you remember that one part and then it's like caviar at that point it, it's gross but you get used to it Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me something. As an artist, you told me you're a bass artist, right? So you you yeah. label yeah. yourself as bass. So are you hell bent to one style or subgenre, let's say, of dance music? In this case, bass. So are you saying? Are you committing? You saying for the rest of my life, as long as I produce music, I'm just gonna keep on making bass music? Or are you willing to go with the flow, depending on what is or will be popular? Well, there's um, two sides to that coin. So for me, the term bass music can apply to multiple genres of music. It's not just one specific sound. It's not one specific tempo. It To me, it just means there's a powerful enough bass line to the point where you can feel it in your core, right? But the music that I make, you can, like, if, if you actually listen to any of the songs that I made in the last year, each song sounds different than the previous song. There's only even a couple songs that have the same samples in them. Pretty much every song I make is completely brand new concepts and new ideas, different tempos. There's only a few songs that I have in my entire library that are the same tempo as each other. Um, I think the ones that are most similar for me are the house music songs that I produce, and it's only because of the tempo that basically everything else is different. So, so you're, you're talking about dubstep, and you're talking about bass as in... Um, that sort of bass that you make and you're talking about future bass and you're talking about bass house and drum and bass. Like so are you are you considering them all of them the same thing? I don't consider them the same thing at all. They're all completely different subgenres. But um, I had to pick a genre for my music account. So I had DJ as my first because that was, you know, that's my strong skill. Like even when it comes to my experiences right now, my DJing skills are the strongest aspect of that, out of anything, technically. I don't use a laptop or a sync button. I had to choose two more genres on top of DJing. 
So I picked EDM first, and then I had one more slot to fill. So I picked bass. You know, I started on the bass, so it, it was fitting. And then on top of that, bass just happens to be a music theme that I like. Um, and I see bass music as more than one genre. I don't really see, uh, like, you can't have drum and bass without bass. You can't have, um, like, deep house without bass. You can't have any song without bass. Otherwise, it doesn't even sound good. If you only have the top end, then there's just, it's crap, man. It's like, people come for bass. It's well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a, yeah, bass line, of course, is an important part of electronic dance music and the rhythm section in general, correct? With with the drum set, that defines, that gives the groove to, to any track, correct? So I agree with you. Um, how would you define, so when people say, I am a bass DJ or I like bass music, what do they refer to exactly? So educate me a bit and, and our listeners. I think the average person hears the, the term bass music and they think of rhythm or they think of popular dubstep, like stuff like, you know, the stuff that you'll hear at an excision show or um, at a Space Laces or Skrillex. Like Skrillex was, I remember when I told people I like Skrillex as a kid, they're like, oh, you listen to dubstep? It's so stupid, man. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, it's not just dubstep. Like, not only is this guy, like, he, he was another metalhead that went to the EDM scene, Sonny. He's, yeah, of course. He's creepy. Like, in, inside of metal breakdowns, it's the same tempo and structuring as most dubstep songs. And most, like, the entire song for dubstep songs are almost always structured around the most exciting part of metal music, right? So it was like, it only made sense for him to go into the dubstep scene. But when he turns around and makes this incredible masterpiece and then people are like, like they're basically slurring him as if like what he was doing was not popular. And that's the reason why they knew his name is because he was getting on the radio. He's getting all these contracts because he had a brand new sound. Suddenly everyone wants to do the same thing. You got Rusko that came out with his version of everything, you know, um, Flux Pavilion, same deal is it became this this wave right and people kept saying oh well no it's going to die off but no it didn't it did not die off it, it got bigger and it's now taken over it's it's like coronavirus at this point but a bass music to me is not just dubstep it's it's an all-encompassing kind of ideology of what music is made out of you know my first like i said i'm gonna say it again my first instrument was the bass Without the bass, you just don't have this foundation for your music. It doesn't matter what genre you want to call it; it still has bass in it. So, if I come, if I come to your show, let's say you're DJing tomorrow, and and you know you say, "Oh, this is a bass show." What kind of artists would you be playing on your set? Um, I would think of guys like Mantis. I would think of. Uh, hypnotic from Atlanta. Uh, but he also, he does a lot of other genres too. He's got a lot of trap music that he does. I would think, uh, Getter. Getter makes some really good bass music. He makes a lot of rhythm. Um, but, you know, I would definitely call him. I would think of Liquid Stranger. I would think of, what else would I think of? Like anyone that's on the walk on label is essentially bass music. It's mm -hmm. like, it's incredible how beautiful their melodies are. How, uh, how would you differentiate between rhythm and bass? Rhythm is, rhythm is a hit or miss with me, dog, because a lot of it is just like this crunchy kind of top end that's pushed to its limit to the point where it's just barely not peaking your speakers, but you almost want to turn them down. And then you'll have other songs that are rhythm based, but they're, not just the high-end stuff it's this bass conglomerate with um, these really distorted and crackly kind of influences but people will turn around and call it wonks and wubs like there's this one promoter i was talking with in texas he's like my promoting team only does things for wubs wiggles and wobbles and i'm sitting here i'm like that's <laughs> kind of weird dog like <laughs> what the fuck is a wub a wiggle and a wobble whoa, whoa, like, whoa, 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 like that <laughs> but it's not it's, it's not wah, wah, wah. It's wah, 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 wah. and i'm like i'm sitting here i listened to a live stream from one of his shows and it's cool because he's got a decent amount of people but it's like all they're doing is like bouncing around and like 
head banging and then the drops aren't even in the same key signature as the song that they're building up from so it's like what in the world is going on here dog like if you're going to change key signatures that's fine that's like that's a theory in music but holy shit do it differently because this is not okay with me like i feel like i'm gonna have a panic attack i'm not enjoying this experience but then it'll drop back down to this melody that is just completely unrelated right but then you got guys like getter that do it perfectly Hmm. like they they come with this this energy that's just like it's a buildup and you can feel it and you recognize it because it's the right structure. It's the, I don't want to call it cookie cutter, but it's the right shape for you to be like, I know where this is going. And then it goes into these completely original ideas that you haven't heard anywhere else. You might get like, <clears throat> like it's a sample somewhere in the middle of there. Like, I don't think he wants to do that anymore, but you know, he, he's got the talent and he's got the marketing ability to push that kind of a genre when most people were sitting here um, hating on him. I remember it was like last year, two years ago, he canceled his whole entire tour because of how much negative feedback he got yep. from his album. And we have a podcast on that. I'll have to go back and check it out. I haven't heard it yet. But like, it, I'm not going to say like I was crying over it, but it broke my heart to see him so, so distraught when he worked so hard to create a product. And it, it wasn't a bad product. Like he's getting hate from all these people, but they're listening to him. They're the ones tuning into his stuff. Like, who are these people? Like, okay, if you don't like it, then don't listen to it. Like, he doesn't have to do anything different. He's popular for who he is. Let him be himself. Like, well, we can discuss this uh, again when you listen to the podcast about Geta. Now, yeah. let. Let me move on a little bit. I want to get your perspective as a recording artist on this. So, I do not understand mostly as to why electronic dance music artists make albums in these days. So, what is your take on this? What value does an album actually provide? Well, there's there's two different aspects. Um, the first aspect is monetary. The second aspect is promotional. If you release a bunch of original music that gives people that came out to support you at shows an opportunity to introspectively feel who you are as a musician, because everybody makes music differently. Like you can have two different people that make a song, right? Like let's say, for example, they remix the same song. The song, even if it has the similar portions of it that make it connected to the original, they're not going to be the same song. You're talking about two different fingerprints from two different artists. Um, but the promotional aspect is only outweighed by the monetary aspect. The whole entire music scene as a whole was funded because people went out to a record store and they would spend $10, $20 on an album that would come out periodically. And record labels would give people lots and lots of money to guarantee that they had material to put on an album to sell to these people. Right, that whole entire industry is essentially falling apart with the rise of uh, modern social media and internet, um, along with different, you know, independent music sources. So, when it comes to making an album, if an artist has an opportunity to sell an album, it's it's gold for them. I don't even sell my music for two reasons. One, I grew up without um, enough money to be able to go out and buy music that I wanted to listen to. So the only way I could access it was online through streaming services or if I went to a real show, right? So the way I look at it is my music will always be free unless somebody pays me to make a song with them and then they turn around and sell it. That's different, right? But the music that I make is always going to be free. And that also opens me up to creativity that somebody that's on a record label won't have. They have to make a certain product that's of a certain caliber so that the record label can turn around and sell it, right? I'm not, I'm not ever going to do that. I'll sell my shows. I'll charge you top dollar for my shows to see me DJ, but I'm not going to sell you my music. You're going to have it for free, you know? Okay, so. okay. I mean, it's it's a different perspective. But yes, this is where I was getting with the albums that basically they're marketing, a marketing tool rather than an artist trying to convey a message or their character through making a distinct product. Uh, but thank, thank you for this. Let's go a little bit on to the online thing, because you mentioned about online promotion. What 
in your opinion, right now, is the best social media app for promoting music, uh, at least in the electronic dance music scene? Uh, Twitter's got a lot of presence right now. Elon Musk taking over the company, even though people have talked about it killing his brand or killing Twitter. It's actually doing the opposite. They have more Twitter user engagement than ever before. Um, Facebook has always been my primary source of promotion for my music and my shows. And it's, it's always been highly successful. Um, the use of artwork like memes um, to connect with my audience or my fan base has been the number one way that we threw our warehouse parties in Atlanta. Like most of it was just like, like you said, shit posting. And so it came a couple of days before party time, we released the address and then everyone's all hyped up like, I'm so ready or show me your outfits. What are you going to, you know, the, the cool stuff. So um, Instagram, even though it's got a lot of popularity, I really don't see Instagram as something that's a good way to promote. We still did promo on all the platforms. We did it on Twitter. We did it on Facebook. We did it on Instagram to cover all our bases because that's how a good promotional team works. You don't shut your off. You shut yourself off to one audience. But okay. if I pick one, Facebook. Facebook definitely has the most marketability. Okay, so I was thinking mostly, and perhaps I'm, I'm wrong, TikTok. You know, I had a, another guy that he's a United States Army military police who's also a DJ. He actually makes some pretty good music. Uh, he doesn't have like a music background. He just, you know, turned around and made it. Um, he was always telling me to get on TikTok and do promo because his DJ videos would get a lot of attention that way. Mm-hmm. And I refused to because TikTok was originally created by a Chinese espionage agency. They were data dumping users' information, their pictures, and then the United States turned around and bought the company from them because it became so popular. You know, so I just it's TikTok isn't something that I agree with. It's it's not a company. Even if they're owned by an American intelligence agency now, I don't support them at all because of what they did, the user's information from the get-go. Okay. So you said that you did some promotion in the past yourself about, you know, your shows and everything. But if we think it in a bigger way, like, can you become as such a big star as Excision on your own without a good manager? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, if you work hard enough, you can do anything by yourself. The truth is you need a support network to get anywhere. You can't do anything solely by yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be by yourself at the show, right? Like the show that I'm planning right now, I'm working with a venue. I'm working with a guy who has the DJ equipment, so I don't have to bring any. I'm working with two major music producers from Atlanta and another uh, another DJ who's also from Atlanta who played shows with me. I'm working with local talent. I'm doing a DJ poll. Like I need all of these different people to sh- just to do one good show. If you're talking about consistently doing that all across the country, Excision doesn't do it by himself. There's no way in hell he'd be able to do it by himself. But from a managerial perspective, he didn't need managers to get bookings. His music got him the bookings. His his uh, his crowd base and audience base is so loyal to the point where he doesn't have to do or say anything. They'll respond. Like I supported Excision for most of a decade without even having ever gotten to experience one of his sets. And it was only because I enjoyed his music so much. I didn't have any but I mean, connection with him. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a very fair point. But don't you think like a manager will do a lot of work, like promotion work, like reach out to podcasts like me and say, you know, would you like to interview my artist, for example? <laughs> well, as we both know, dog, um, sometimes managers just fail to pick up the ball. Um, you know, if it's not, because they were busy doing something else or a bias led them to, you know, not do something properly that was in the, the artist's best interest. You're talking about a limitation, even though it enables the artist in one sense, because the manager's primary motivation is to get their artist money because when their artist gets paid, they get paid. Hmm. And that means, you know, the more gigs, the more opportunities that come through for the artist, the better off the manager will be. And they'll get more opportunities with other artists because artists will be like, Oh, look, that person's getting bookings. Hey, you have a booking manager? Who are they? Okay, let me reach out to them real quick. Hey, man, can you get me bookings too? I'll give you more money. You know, that's that's the whole yeah. entire reason managers exist. It's yeah. to take a workload off of the artist so they can focus on being an artist. The only reason um, Excision had to make an LLC, like Excision Presents or Lost Lands LLC, is because he had such a demand at that point that he could do these shows by himself. 
but he had so much of a demand that he couldn't do it by himself, right? So it's it's still him that's marketing it, right? But he's not the one doing the work anymore. Now he's paying other people to do it because yeah. logistically it's impossible for him to do that kind yeah, of work by yeah, himself. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you something controversial. Now. I always thought about this. So you're a DJ and you're playing a big show, right? And you know you can watch the videos and everything. And the people, you can't really see their faces. You can see like a mass of people waving arms and everything, jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be enjoying. At the same time, you know that these people are possibly on drugs, all of them. So as a DJ, are you bothered if the crowd is stoned or on drugs while dancing and seem to be enjoying your music? Well, the way that I always promoted my parties, um, drugs and alcohol are strictly prohibited. Come in peace or don't come at all and roar is in full effect roar being right of admission refusal so what this means is if, if you become a problem or a nuisance at an event because of substance usage or you've been violent towards someone else we're, we're just going to remove you right but what's going to happen in the crowd often is that drug usage is going to happen we weren't going through their policing whether or not people were on drugs we knew that people were on drugs we knew people were drinking we knew people were sneaking things in and out it's not our job to determine what you can and can't put in your body. I know, but are you, are, you, are you bothered as a DJ that like people are out of their minds and they seem to be enjoying your music, but are they enjoying your music or are they just doing this because they're, they're off the rockers basically on, on drugs? I'm not excited by the fact that a lot of people see EDM events as a big drug free-for-all. I'm not going to lie, that bothers me. It, it's extremely hurtful to know that somebody can come out to a show and potentially endanger their life or someone else's life because they want to do a substance or put the show at risk because they want to do a substance. And then if somebody dies, they try to blame the show when it's the individual. So the, the truth is it, it does bother me that people are on drugs. I'm not talking about consumption of cannabis or people taking psychedelics like LSD or mushrooms. Even like moderate alcohol usage doesn't bother me. It's the people that go there to binge or to, to do wild, out of control things with substances because they feel like it's the only way that they can have fun. That's what bothers me. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a mixed answer for me. It's not yes and it's not no. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's case by case, bro. Okay. Let me ask you again something just to get an insight uh, into you. If you had to choose one only for your future career, either DJ or a producer, which one would you go for? You can only choose That's one. I honestly, um, because DJing is profitable um, and DJing is fun. DJing gives me the opportunity to work with the people. I would choose DJ. Like I love music and I, I love to make music, right? But the truth is, without DJing, I wouldn't. I, I was never able to connect with anybody. I was in my bedroom alone all the time. I chose to work as a DJ because I wasn't even able to perform for people. I wanted to perform for people. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's why DJs listed first and not EDM on my page. No, that, that's a fair question, and I guess it depends on your personality. So let me continue with this, follow up with this. What makes a good DJ in your opinion? <laughs> um, technical ability uh, without the aid of computer equipment. So I already know that our DJ equipment is going digital. That's fine. That's just, that's technically and logistically, that's the way it needs to happen. But if you don't know how to actually manipulate a disc or a jog wheel or to use a pitch fader without pushing a button that automatically does it for you or without lining something up on a computer screen before you actually even bother to put your headphones on, you're not, you're not a DJ. You're not, period. Like even if you're using thumb drives, it doesn't matter if you're using CDs, if you're using vinyl, if you're using thumb drives, or you're using a data bank like a hard drive, if you are not using the music to DJ, you're not a DJ. You're just you're you're using a laptop to do the work for you. For years, I heard about DJs that got shamed and and eventually phased out because they were running internally. They had pre-programmed sets, right? Now people like using Ableton. The whole entire thing is pre pre-planned. It's all lined up and. You know, they're just a, adjusting different parameters to make a different effect or a different impact. Maybe pull the faders up and down a little bit to give it some originality. 
but even that is kind of i didn't go for ableton djing because it it didn't really seem exciting to me it seemed too um too pre-organized too pre-rehearsed like when i'm djing i'm flipping the faders i'm adjusting parameters i'm putting effects on them putting a filter on i'm like popping in and off the mic like it's all in the moment it's impulsive and it's exciting it's you have to be a technically talented dj to impress me mm -hmm. so um let's say you're in a show now and people like stop dancing for whatever reason like you're playing your music and then you can see them they kind of start scratching their head and their bum and you know they're no moving they kind of look around they, they seem like bored do you have any tracks that you're gonna pull out at that stage and say right i'm gonna put them back into the groove with this one or a couple of them? It depends on the crowd man because like i was taught by that company i started working for in virginia um, that if you have a dead dance floor line dances are the best way to get your crowd back and then from line dances you go into pop music and then if you get them dancing for long enough they'll dance to anything you play as long as it's got a good beat. But if it's, if you're talking about like at an EDM event, I'm going to have to turn around and pull out heavy hitters. Like I'm gonna have to pull out drum and bass. that's 75 beats per minute, or I, like I'll have to come out hard with like some hardcore dubstep or like, if I'm not feeling that, like I'll turn around, I'll do the same thing with house music, but I'll bring the tempo up. Um, I'll go through, go ahead. Do you think that people will dance to anything that is very, very loud? No, it's not, it's not about how loud it is. It's about how powerful the music is, dog. Like you can turn the volume all the way up on a song that, that doesn't really have any energy to it. But the truth is, if the song isn't a good song, you're not going to get them dancing, man. I can turn it up for days and it still won't do that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Now let's move a little bit into your producing side can you tell us very briefly describe your creative process for our listeners like from start to finish like what doors do you use and how do you come about thinking about it and your arrangements and stuff like that just give us a description so for my music production i use fruity loops i've got the full edition i paid for it last year so i've got it for life i've got unlimited updates a lot of my songs lately have been samples that I remastered or um, uh, reconfigured to create a new product. I got them from Cymatics. Um, I'm a huge fan of Cymatics samples. I also I have serum patches that I haven't used. I'm going to be buying serum here soon once I get my laptop replaced. I haven't been able to make anything that's broken right now. But <clears throat> uh, for me, the creative process is all about putting energetically what I feel in the moment into my music. So if let's say I'm having a good day or like I, I met a girl uh, and she happened to just make me feel, feel a certain way, it'll come out in the music. If I'm upset because someone was being rude to me or said something that was divisive, that's going to come out in the music too. Like if I'm tired, it'll come out in the music. If, if I'm making a song first thing in the morning, you'll be able to tell because it'll change the energy of the song. That's why all my songs are different. But how, how do you start? Do you start with a melody? Do you start with a sample? Do you start with a beat? You know, what's your, what's, what's your process, if you have one? Sometimes I start with a drum pattern. So I'll, I'll start with uh, a, a simple drum pattern that sounds like it is catchy, and then I'll add bass lines that I like. And it has to be a bass line that's heavy enough to actually reverberate in my headphones it has to be between 50 and 80 hertz and then i'll work on a melody on top of that mm -hmm. okay now you're a producer uh, again situations i'm putting you on you're struggling for money an artist you don't like makes a substantial monetary offer for a remix what do you do i take it i mean that's, Damn, that's a good no <laughs> no, because like there's there's two reasons why. One, if someone's offering me money, right, and they want me to work on a remix for them, that's a business opportunity. Now, if it's an artist that I don't like because of like a, a personal thing, that's one thing. But if it's an artist that I don't like because they've done something that's like illegal 
or um, unethical, then I would probably turn them down. But the, the truth is money in exchange for a product that I've spent my whole life working on to be able to create a product for someone else, I would take the money for that. I, I wouldn't turn them down. I, I would even take money from Excision if he offered me to make a song a certain way. Fair point. Now, um, you've probably heard about um, staying on the music side, AI making music, right? And they say, oh, it makes music, music as good as artists these days. So there's all these experiments with machine learning and AI. Now, why in the future, let's say, why would a major record label, let's say Warner or Sony, book humans for releasing music when they can have AI do the same thing better, cheaper and faster? Because we're the ones who build them. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of like obvious, dude. Like your computers, it's not going to be like Skynet taking over, man. Like without people, like the computers don't have a need to go to a music event or a festival. Like you can, you can program a computer to make a song that sounds good after you give it information on what a good song sounds like. And it's all based on whatever you give it. So you, you as a human, you have to program it. To, so you're still the person that, like, it's still, it's redundant. Like, this is why it's like a conundrum in my head. Like, you can't actually have an AI system that works without a person. Like, you can't just say, oh, look, it's this robot that we programmed that, that's making original music. Do you guys want to go see this robot that we programmed? Like, come on, dude. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There's still wait, a person wait. that's making the robot. Wait, wait, wait. So you don't know about this. I'm sure you don't know. You've never heard of Hatsune Miko. Uh, it's not familiar, but I'm, okay. I you're about so to Okay, so Hatsune me. Miko is like an anime figure. And oh, no, yeah, I've seen the name before. That's why it reminds me. Yeah, so, so she, she's, they use a, a Yamaha computerized system for vocals called Vocaloid. So her vocals, even though they sound human or human humanoid, they're actually computerized, right? Somebody's writing the music. But in Japan, you have big shows. I mean, big shows sold out. She appears on the scene, on the stage, as a hologram. So it's an anime figure, a hologram. There's a background of real musicians in the background playing playing the instruments, and she just goes for a show. It's sold out. People are there to watch her. Comments. Uh, well, I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me, dude. Like, if you look at it from what it is, you've got somebody that's taking advantage of the the sex sales ideology, and they're combining it with their ability to program an engineer. Like, they're taking their strengths, and they're doing something that's giving people a product that they really enjoy. And I guarantee you some of them enjoy it because it's a female artist, right? And some of them enjoy it because it's an anime female artist. There's a, there's a certain clientele that are going to be appealing to that. Of course. Um, yes. But at the same time, you can do stuff with more than just one person. It's not just limited to an artist that you're working with. You're talking about you can work with anybody to design a song and program that specific artist to work with anybody. So that, that opens it up to not just one person. Like, you could... You could, in theory, can keep that musical talent, that musical show going for a long, long, long time. Employ not just one or two people or a small group of people. You can employ groups of people for years and decades into the future doing that kind of thing. So, so you're not you're not afraid that AI will take over like in ten years? No, bro. Like, stop and think about it. They're programming that. They have to program that, which means they need programmers. Which means that, that's when true. they run, a, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Sony can actually market a fictitious personality with, you know, music that is not created anymore from humans. But it's, it's but they have to be. <laughs> that's why it's funny for me because it is humans that's creating it. Like the computer didn't create itself. The computer didn't program itself. The computer didn't program another computer to do this program. It's not computers, it's people. It's people creating something for other people using technology that people created. You know, that's what technology is. It's it's innovation. Okay. Now, tell me if there is a, 
an artist, you would give up a festival show uh, to go and work uh, for a day. So imagine somebody gave you a slot in a like Lost Lands or or something like that, Basecon or something like that, right? And it's a major, major event, major event for you. Yeah. However, okay. this other major artist you really admire uh, said to you, look, I only have one slot. You can come and learn with me for that day only. I know I'm putting you through a lot of these hypothetical situations. No, no, that's perhaps they're nasty, like but, but tell me an artist that you would do that for. So you're losing now a major career move to go and learn from the artist. I would, um, I think I would, it would be a toss up between Schwangel or, uh, or Borgor, to be truthful. Um, Borgor is definitely, he's got a, a broad, uh, a broad musical taste with his, his, his record label, Bygor. Um, so if I had to give up working on like, let's say Tomorrowland, in Europe or ultra music festival in Europe, not the American ones because America's gone to shit lately. I hate to say it. I love America, but like I've got an American flag on my backpack, but I don't, I really don't want to be in America, man. I want to be in Europe. Um, it would be a toss up between Schwangel uh, or Borogor. Those would be the two artists that I would give up a major festival booking for. Okay. Thanks. I think we're coming to the end of it. Can you, Tell me, like your immediate future plans, like in the next year, for example, 2023. What, what, what would people expect from you? Like, where can they find your music, for example, and where, what would people expect from you? Well, right now, the best source for everything that I'm doing, whether it's my shows, new music, or music videos, is going to be my Reverb Nation account. So it's reverbnation.com/nkryptd. So it's uh, reverb as in like the audio sound, R-E-V-E-R-B, followed by nation.com slash N-K-R-Y-P-T-D. Yeah, we're going to uh, put a link first, to all this. Right on. We've got um, a show coming up with my company, The Honeycomb Hideout, in Houston, Texas at the Purple Hippo. It's called Poke Rave 4, Gotta Catch a Lover. Um, we're going to be announcing the show here in the next couple weeks. I'm paying the headliner on Tuesday. And then we're going to be dropping all the information on my pages. So it's, this is going to be a really big show. It's going to be my first show in Texas. It's going to be my first show flying out of state to go do a show. And it's also the first show where I've completely financed the entire thing. It's costing me a little bit more than $4,300 to throw this party. Um, and that's that's where I'm going to be taking my business from here on out. It's not going to be underground, but it's not going to be mainstream. It's going to be kind of this weird kind of hybrid. It's like a classy underground vibe. The Purple Hippo has a really good. Why are you in Reverb Nation? Can you, because I'm not very familiar with the platform. Uh, Reverb Nation allowed me the opportunity to have a cloud for all of my music, a source for all of my content, and a way to, uh, to keep track, like a resume of my bookings. So for all my DJ gigs. And on top of that, it gave me statistical points based on all the content, all the shows that I had, and the attendance for the shows to give me a, a ranking against other people, um, not just nationally, but internationally. And it gave me a marketing tool. So because I was doing so much work, they were ranking me number one in my area for years and years. Every area that I went to was number one. I've been number one in DC multiple times, even though it's a very competitive market. Right now I'm number three. Um, it still shows that like, look, these are, these are the people that are doing work. These are the people that are producing the most content. These are the people that are located in this area of the country that are doing work. And it allows us to network with each other. And it also gives us something to motivate ourselves because a lot of us in the underground scene, we don't get recognized by billboard. We're not going to, if we're not backed up by clear channel or a major booking agency, we get unnoticed. The reverb nation gives the independent, the artists, the opportunity and the tools that they need not to just connect with the people that are in mainstream, but to also build your platform as if you were a mainstream artist with the same marketability. Is it, is it only my... for bass artists or, or anybody? No, 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 no. They do. There's country music. There's rap music. There's okay. people that do spoken word. It's literally, it's like, uh, imagine, oh, 
man, I, I can't even put it into words. Imagine if you had a social media that was only meant for musicians and you could put, instead of your pictures, you can put your pictures and your videos and you can link all your social medias to it. It'll automatically post to all your social medias from this website and you can keep track of all your shows, your attendance. You can link ticket sales through them. You can link buy links for your music through them. Everything. The membership is it's less than $200 a year and it allows you unlimited upload um, capacity. So without a membership, you don't have any limit on how many songs you can put up like SoundCloud does. As long as the file's smaller than eight megabytes, you can put up any song you want. There's no limitation on how many pictures you can put up. There's no limitation on anything but the file size. Sounds and it's like, yeah, it's awesome, dog. Like I was so bummed out when I found out SoundCloud limited me to three hours and they yeah. held my music hostage. If I don't pay them every year, like I'm not even going to upload more than three hours. I'm not going to let you do that. So I'll just keep the rest of it on, on Reverb Nation and I'll start fine tuning my SoundCloud. So it's got like more quality music on it. And, yeah. and what about, so you mentioned about a show, what about you releasing any music? Are you planning on doing that? I'm still working on my 100-day project. Right now, I think I'm either 80 or 85 songs in. I'd have to double check. I've been working on it for four years now. This will be the beginning of the fifth year, uh, the beginning of December. December 1st, um, excuse me, December 11th was the day that I started it in 2018. So um, the project was to sharpen the saw to make better music and to ultimately create an album. I created my first album and <laughs> like my, my music teacher, my music theory told me in high school, she said, once you make a song, you're going to hate it. And she's not wrong. Like some of my songs I really enjoy, but like there's, I can hear all the things I did wrong on my album and it's only helped me to grow as a music producer. So from here on out, things are going to be done a little bit differently, especially once I get my laptop replaced. But uh, you can expect um, more quality music coming from me within the next year, guaranteed. And final question for this episode. Where do you see yourself in five years? It's not an interview. Um, I want to see myself pushing both of my DJ brands, so both Encrypted and Noxious. Um, and I see myself doing major shows across the country like I wanted to five years ago, uh, but I didn't have the network, the know-how, or the finances to do so. Right now, I've, I've got that. I've got the money coming in from a job I'm working here in Hawaii. I've got the ability to network, learning from uh, working in Atlanta, Virginia Beach, and from living in Hawaii for several years, as well as the motivation. Right now is uh, the time in people's lives where if they're in the music scene, they quit. I refuse to, dog. Like, I'm not doing anything else. I don't have kids. I don't have ex-wives. I don't have credit card debt. I have no STDs. I'm going to have fun, dog. Like, I want to be like Tommy Lee and be covered in Tommy tattoos <laughs> with, with, like, thousands of girlfriends wherever I go and just, like, just be the guy. Sounds like, pretty um, cool for a plan, for five-year plan. Minus, minus the hepatitis, man. I, like, I wouldn't mind. Like, he's got a good life, man. Yeah. Like I've got some really influential musicians that are motivating me like Scott Page from Pink Floyd. He's followed me on a bunch of my social media accounts for most of the last 10 years. And every time I saw his name pop up, I'm like, wow, dude, that's like one of the most influential musicians of all time. That's just right there on my social media feed. Like that's cool. Like Messinian working with me in the middle of COVID just to produce a song and like honestly i'm gonna remix it because his vocals are better than the song that they're on top of like i always loved messinian for the music that he made with excision x-rated was one of my favorite songs for a long time so it's like yeah i'm doing the stuff that i wanted to do i'm just i'm getting there it's like sounds, baby steps there. sounds great okay well that's that's a wrap thank you very much for coming and and um you know we as I said, you're, you've been a little bit of a controversial personality. And for those who don't know, they can go back and find the relevant <laughs> podcast to understand what I'm talking about. I'm not going to give any more. Fan, bro. I'm not, I'm not going to give any more. But people can see that you're a decent person who's working hard and is there living for the music and, and wants to promote the music, you know, good music and put shows out and get people together. So I think this interview kind of reverses that picture 
that he gave I out. I think you, you had a, a false perception of who I was when I was really hungry. I was struggling to get money. Um, and like, I didn't even have access to my bank account, man. I've got it back. And I actually, I got my second biggest paycheck in my entire life last week. And my, I'm anticipating the biggest one that I've ever gotten to come in a couple of days. Fantastic. So this move is a very different, um, very different place that I'm coming to you from right now. Thank you very much, Noxus. And uh, thank you very much, all who stayed with us for almost an hour. And until next time, remember, get your freak on. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha.